Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 57. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other even better. Much better. Much better. By sharing... Living in a house? No. Movies? It's a different movie. With each other? <laughs> I don't... I completely went blank. I don't remember what I usually say. That's okay. We... We... Enforced viewing ensues. Yes. Each, each time... One of us gets to choose a film, television show, or media property. Media property. <laughs> we, we haven't done books or anything yet. We haven't done game shows no, at all. No, we haven't done any transmedia sort of commercial video game slash movie sort of That's experiences. That's right. We should review Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, boy, we're off topic here. <laughs> Each time one of us chooses a movie or TV show the other person's never seen before, enforced viewing mm-hmm. ensues. Ensues. Then we take it all apart here. With you guys. With you guys. It's my turn this time. It was your I got turn. To, what did I you got choose? I got to chose, choose. What did you choose, Dave? I chose Days of Heaven, 1978 movie by director Terrence Malick, starring Richard Gere, Brooke Adams, Linda Manns, and Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard. And so therefore, this is the film we will talk about. <laughs> is that the film we're going to... So, I, I, this is my, it's my first... Terrence Malick film. I, I was think. literally just about to ask you, had you seen Terrence Malick film? I before? don't think I've seen a Terrence Malick film. I think you have because I think you told me you saw Badlands at some point. I have seen Badlands. I forgot that that was that's his first Terrence film. Terrence Malick. Oh, okay. With um, uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Yes. Based on the Charles Starkweather murder spree couple. That's also set in Texas, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he's then a Texas. He's, he's a Texas filmmaker. Yeah. He's yeah. one of our locals. Except when he makes movies in Canada. About Texas. About Texas. In Canada. I'm not sure if I would choose Canada if I was going to make a movie about Texas. Well, so Texas and Canada are on opposite sides of the Great Plains. Anyway, we can talk about that later. Why did you choose this film, Dave? (laughs) Um, It's really unique. Mm. I think it's... in His entire filmmaking style is so unusual. Yeah. It's like an experience. It's like visual poetry in, mm. to some sense. It's always about the visuals and the photography. It's about the mood. It's about the setting. It's a, um, he just does something that I don't, that I think he was influenced by the French New Wave and stuff like that, but he just kind of created his own film language. Yeah. Where the story is there. But the drama is really kind of almost in the background. Yeah, And, and yeah. this is true of a lot of his movies. Um, but for me, anyway, this film clocks in at only 90 minutes. It's not boring. It's, no. It's like an experience. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. I mean, we're watching it at home on yeah. the TV, but we did have they did remaster it for surround sound and stuff like that. It's got a beautiful score by Ennio Morricone, and it's, and, uh, it's set in the 20s. Um, and you've got this sort of love triangle. Yes. With uh, Richard Gere and Brooke Adams. Uh, they are... I'm terrible at these synopses. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> um, so Richard Gere and... Uh, what are their names? In their Bill name? and Abby. Bill and Abby. And his sister, Linda. So, uh, and, yeah, Bill's sister, Linda... Um, they, he's working in Chicago at a smelting plant. It looks like they, anyway, they're making metal, steel mill or something like that. Um, and he gets mad and kills someone accidentally and runs off. So they have to go on the lam. Um, so they hop a train and end up in the panhandle of Texas, which is quite a ways from Chicago. Um, and they get hired on as like migrant workers or essentially. So they're working in the wheat fields, which In the Panhandle, I will say, because I grew up in the Panhandle mm. of Texas, wheat is not a crop in the Panhandle of Texas. It's too dry for wheat. <laughs> That's cool. Wheat does not like the Panhandle of Texas. So they're actually, um, it's set in Canada. And that's the one thing that was confusing me because this is set up where I grew up in Texas and I was looking at it and there's mountains. There are no mountains that you can see. It's funny from- because I was talking about you before we started recording i didn't real i didn't realize this was supposed to be in texas until there was a shot of the farmer's house yeah (laughs) with the texas flag out about two-thirds of the way through the movie yeah yeah 
But anyway. So I, I noticed that. And, and then I had remembered that Terrence Malick was associated with Texas for various reasons. So then I was trying to figure out what part of Texas it could possibly be where they have large plains like they do in the Panhandle. We do have large plains, but that you could also see the mountains and there's not a yeah. place that's like that. So this is up in Canada where you can see the the rocky, it's essentially the big Rocky Mountains um, over, hanging over the top of the Great Plains that, that ends up in Canada that stretches all the way down into the panhandle of Texas. So um, anyway, they end up, <laughs> all this to say, um, they end up uh, as like wheat harvesters um, for a temporary job. It's like a couple of months and getting the wheat harvested. And they're lovers but posing as siblings. Which I don't understand. We can talk like, about that later. Yeah, okay. Um, anyway, so the, the place where they're harvesting this wheat is owned by this single guy who owns a big house, who owns all this land. He's the handsome, wealthy farmer played yeah. by playwright Sam Shepard. That's right. Who I also, I was going to say have a thing for, but that sounds wrong. <laughs> I like Sam Shepard. I like his plays. <laughs> I like his acting. Um, so Sam Shepard takes a liking to Abby, and since they're playing brother and sister, like, he thinks she's single, he asks her to stay with him. So, you know, the guy pretending to be her brother and the brother's kid sister, you know, stick around, and they try to... They end up getting married. He well, they learn that he has a terminal illness, yeah. so they cook up a scheme for her to marry him so that they'll inherit the money. I still think he money. misheard, you know, or something. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't <laughs> We we overhear it too. Yeah. At least through um I keep Gere's thinking maybe it was like the older guy that they were talking no, about. No, it's supposed to be okay. him. But I actually think I think what's implied is like the falling in love with Abby and that relationship like gives him a renewed sense of vitality oh, or okay. life or something so like that. So Bill convinces so Abby he's to He's supposed to have a year to live. Yeah. But he keeps hanging he on. He keeps hanging on. So Bill convinces Abby to um you know, not seduce him, but essentially agree to his advances. Um, and they get married. And um, and it's Sam Shepard in the 70s. Yeah. He's handsome and... Uh, I don't know. He's blonde. He's not my thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's fine. <laughs> oh, but uh, she's got the blackest hair that uh, Richard Gere has ever seen. Uh, I mean, I guess it's dark. It's, it's dark. just a line it's in the dark. movie. I know. Yeah. It's, well, other people mention it, too. I didn't even notice that her hair was black until both the men mentioned Apparently it. Apparently, they decided to yeah. make that a plot point. <laughs> she does have nice skin, I guess. Okay, they're also traveling with his younger sister, Linda, yes. Richard Gears. And she's the narrator of yeah. the story. Um, although, kind of like her telling things doesn't... I mean, she just kind of comments on things that she sees... She makes friends with another traveling girl mm -hmm. um, who, um, you know, pops up again later in the story. But yeah. essentially, as with these sorts of things where there's a love triangle, nothing ends well. Um, you know, I don't know how much I should say. One guy kills the other and then is shot for killing Let's just go guy. with it doesn't end very well. It doesn't and end very well for everybody. if we need well to get everybody. into more detail, okay. we can. <laughs> Again, we usually tend to spoil these movies because, after all, Statute of Limitations, 1978. We want you to see it if you haven't seen it, but, you know, we, we do stray uh, through the whole movie a lot of the time. So, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your initial take on this? I mean, I didn't... I've been wanting to... I, I don't know if I ever fully answered that question. Piece. Yeah. I just wanted to show you a Terrence Malick movie that I like a film that I really like and I wanted you to see it through also because of your photographer's eye and your love yeah. for painting and light and 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 that's so much of like the experience of it too so I can't really explain why I've avoided Malick I don't I can't I've just always had this like avoiding thing for him and I don't know why my my best explanation is that movies like Baraka drive me nuts and so I was under the impression that it was sort of like that and I interestingly there are aspects of the photography in it that are kind of like that well there's some close-up locust photography yeah and there's some stop motion there's grasshoppers yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> I just, it's very biblical, <laughs> yes, right? So that's right. There is a plague of uh, 
You can Not have plagues locusts, of all sorts of things. But grasshoppers. Um, but um, I, I really, really liked it. But like later on, I just, I knew that it would be the kind of movie that I would like. Also, didn't he direct that Christopher Columbus movie that came out? New World or something like that. Yeah, it's not Columbus. It's John Smith and Pocahontas. Okay, okay. I mean, and, it's based on. I don't even. And think I they're saw that trailer names. like eleven billion times, and I just it just really irritated me. So that's one of the reasons. So I don't have a good excuse. I I kind of knew that this would be right up my alley, like for years, really? I was, and I just for some reason just was like, no. I thought um, this one would be, and I think it's partly because. At 90 minutes, this is probably his shortest film. I can't remember how long Badlands is. This is mm. his second film after Badlands. And since then, the films he's made have gotten longer and longer. Yeah. And what he does is he goes off and he he's an improvis- improvisational filmmaker. Yeah. And he's completely into the photography and like will change up the plan from day to day and it drives everyone nuts with the shooting schedule and stuff like that (laughs) at least they talk about that with regards to this film and he shoots just thousands and thousands and thousands of feet of film and then works with it like clay you know like raw material and all of his films are kind of shot that way um he always gets really a-list actors yeah i mean i don't think richard gear richard gear was unknown when this came out basically that's maybe as young as i've ever seen richard gear this is his pretty much his first starring role yeah. i think because when it's an officer and a gentleman looking later, for I mr guess. goodbar i think is the first movie that put him on the map but mm. oddly that movie was shot after days of heaven but days of heaven took so freaking long <laughs> for terrence malick to edit it was two two years in the editing room to try and make a film out of this yeah. material he went and shot with them that they shot, edited, tested, released, looking for Mr. Goodbar, the movie that Richard Gere shot afterwards mm. before this ever came out. Interesting. So actually that put him on the map first. Um, and he'd been, I think, in a few small parts before Goodbar that. But. sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm thinking so this chocolate. is what happens when we don't have dinner before we That's record. That's right. Um so you So I really liked it. I I was taken in from the very first like those great shots of the smell of like the and Well, what about the photojournalism the, in, yeah, the, the, in the opening credits where you have that kind of uh, No, not into that. It's a Ken Burnsy kind of <laughs> Ken Burns is after this shit. Right? I know, I know. Um but that was fine. I like I always like looking at those old photographs, but that sort of but I really was interested in the, all the shots of the smelting and the iron works. And I, that was really cool, you know, and, and the whole thing of them, like, they're just like walking in a circle, throwing coal into the... So that always, <laughs> every time I see the movie, the first <laughs> shot in, this, in, the, in the steel mill yeah. is Richard Gere standing there stationary with the shovel. And then all of a sudden he moves and goes over and up. And I always think like that's just ex- that's the beginning of the shot before he called action. Yeah. Like because it's like it's so <laughs> it's so like the act like they they ran the camera and then he moves like two seconds. It's so weird. Well, I think he was like waiting for well, the person in front realized, of him. To... Then I realized that they're waiting because they each there's the whole line of guys who each can get one shovel and dump it and yeah. dump the coal and thing. But it always feels to me like. Like they had to remove the sound of action, yeah. uh, you know, the director calling action <laughs> off camera. And then he starts the act. It's a little, there's something about it. Anyway, sorry, just nitpicky. So yeah, that, that was, that was all that, all that photography of that fascinating industrial, you know, and it looked really, I don't know, maybe it still looks like that in, ni- or in 1978, steel mills still look like that, but I mean, it, it looks like historical and I don't know where they would get a historical you know, ironworks or whatever, but, um, that was really cool. And then, you know, then there's all the beautiful shots of the wheat fields and everything that, and that wonderful shot of all the workers on the train yeah. riding out to the panhandle yeah. on the tops of the train. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Yeah. That's it's, there's so much texture and depth in so many of the shots, you know, it's, there's never anything that's, I mean, nothing feels utilitarian. Like we have to get the shot in order to establish this. It's like 
these big, no. beautiful textural shots of, I mean, even photos of the house, you know, everything's like so arranged and. Okay. So that, the, the, the house out yeah. there in the field instantly reminded me, I had to look up the painting, yeah. but it instantly reminded me of that painting of the girl in the pink dress. Who's like in the field. Um, with the house on the hill in the background of this empty... It's a famous Andrew Wyeth painting, I think, mm. called Christina's World or something. I don't think I've ever Christina's seen it. World. Interesting. It looks like that. So that's like a prairie gothic style Victorian? Yeah. <laughs> they freaking built that house yeah. to shoot in. Yeah. And it was not a facade. They built a house and they went in and they styled it and textured it and used the wood and the paint and all that to... To make it as authentic as they could, yeah. a, like a house from that era, and like so, they built the house. He got them to build the house. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a, what a wonderful set, and well, then to dr- dress it and with all the furnishings and stuff from that time period. Yeah, it's a beautifully the set design in that house. But then, yeah, I mean, you almost don't need it because the the planes are their own character. You know, you can you see the the you know trains travel traveling across it and you see the um well of course the the shots of blowing wheat which are hypnotic they look like waves you know and that's oh you mean just, when you just have the field of wheat undulating yeah, in the wind yeah, it's, so i've driven through kansas there's parts of kansas that they do grow wheat in kansas <laughs> and that look like that like entire fields of you know where it just moves in the wind and it's it's absolutely stunning. One of the uh, Agnes Varda films we saw has a wheat scene like yeah. that. It might be the that recent one, Faces Places. I can't remember. Yeah. There's a there's a opening shot or something that's got. Well, the, yeah, there's there's definitely parts of France where they have large amounts of wheat fields. <laughs> this week we'll be talking wheat fields. <laughs> wheat fields. Um, shut up and watch this. <laughs> Great films about wheat fields. Well, I mean, it's it's such an interest. I mean, like. There's so much, I mean, it's like you almost feel like a wheat field. If you're standing in one or watching one in a Terrence Malick film, you, I mean, like, there's like this weird connection. Like, I don't know if you've ever like been to the ocean and you're staring out at the ocean and there's like this sense of like connection with other parts of the globe and like this big historical thing and like wheat fields almost have that same sort of feel about them because there's this whole like history of how grains you know made humanity into a civilization and you know gave birth to society in a sense and I don't know there's this the same sort of like magicalness and it's something about that motion that's so hypnotic just like waves you know anyway that was me being poetic about, <laughs> about Jared's Malick films. Fields. <laughs> well, I mean, one of his, I think one of the things about him is he's more interested in the mood and the texture and the photography than the, I mean, like the story is not never really in the foreground. Yeah. In a Terrence Malick movie, maybe in Badlands it is. It's yeah. his first film. And he's, it's more lodged in the experience of Sissy Spacek as the participant slash narrator. But this one's got this sort of simple but dramatic life and death kind of triangle, well, but yeah. it's really at arm's length and it's really... Well, it's because like, our not... narrator is experiencing it externally. It's not from the point of view of any of the people that it's happening to. Yeah. It's from the point of view of this person that, you know, is influenced and affected by the decisions, but not so really... that's... Um... Something I totally forgot to mention, but the reason I chose this movie this week is because Linda Mance died over the weekend. I've been wanting to. She's the she played the the little girl, the fifteen oh, really? year old wow. sister. Um, and I'd been wanting to do this film for a while on the show, but I suddenly read uh, a lot of people were posting. Yeah. I don't know, Patty Smith and like uh, Chloe Sevigny and um, were like just kind of posting these like tributes to. Linda Mance, she was only in a hand for maybe a dozen or slightly less, but she only had a few major roles. And um, that character, that voiceover, for me, is one of the things I love about the movie. It's a, yeah. Like you said, it's a very weird stream of consciousness, oblique kind of 
commentary yeah. on what what the the teenage sister of um, Richard Gere is observing about yeah. their life on the road, what people did, you know, what it was like. But it, it sucks me in every time from yeah. the moment her voice comes in on the soundtrack. You know, she's like, yeah. She has a fascinating to, accent. We used to know. travel, you know. Yeah. <laughs> New York accent. Yeah. Like, like one of those thick, like... <laughs> Isa, I don't know. I don't know yeah. New York, but yeah, it's, it did sound like a New York accent. She has a really thick accent. Yeah, um, but it, it's it sucks me in, like almost emotionally too. Yeah. Like the when she, that the, she's talking over them riding on the train through yeah. there, and you know, we didn't have nothing. Nobody had anything, and it was a real hard life. And like she's just kind of just talking. Yeah, but. She's never explaining what's happening. She's not really talking about their motivations so much or, or anything. It's just kind of these observations. But sometimes they get quite poetic or philosophical. Yeah. To, I mean, in the sense that, you know, she goes off. There's, there's, some, there's some narration about hell and damnation mm-hmm. and, you know, the, like that, that lot of being somebody without anything, yeah. you know, living a life like this of just work, work, work. Yeah. But I and love... Her in this movie. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that makes the movie work. And it was... Her narration was added, like, way after the fact. Yeah. They were really struggling with making this movie work. It took two years for them to edit that, edit the film, because he came back and they're, like, trying to shape this into a movie with some kind of structure. If you if you can see, like, what we got in terms yeah. of the poetic imagery and the bits of the you know the the primary action that triangle yeah. and the and the the love triangle between Richard Gere and Sam Shepard the farmer and Brooke Adams but the it was when they did a test with they they were like let's let's see if we can bring her in to to kind of give it a voiceover and it's improvised it's it's Linda Mance just kind of like I think, think they literally did like ran footage for her and had her like talk over it and just kind of like off the top of her head sort of stuff but it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's the second film that Terrence Malick did that with because Sissy Spacek has a voiceover mm. in Badlands. And then it became like a key Malick device is like, yeah. I think most of his films have that subjective poetic narration over mm-hmm. it where you, you get this kind of poetic expansive beautiful atmospheric film but it always has that weird voiceover <laughs> interesting hmm so I'm, I'm curious to 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 see more i guess now i'm still not I'm sure about not a hundred percent sure like if you would <laughs> like the other films i think badlands and and days of heaven are his most his most well there's i guess tree of life that i've movies. heard a lot of a lot about you know that maybe I should well, see. Well, I love part. Tree of Life. I saw it in the movie theater and it completely blew me away, but I'm, yeah. a, I'm a bit worried about the first 20 minutes of it. Okay. <laughs> because if you're... I don't even know if I should say anything because then I'll really get you yeah. against ever watching it. I have to say, so if... After the first 20 minutes... Yeah. So I'm not like... I'm not throwing that under the bus. Mm-hmm. I like the movie and I think... It's beautiful and it all holds up together. But when you're talking about the Baraka thing that you're avoiding, oh, okay. the Koyana Skatsi. Yeah, like, we're sort of, like the time lapse of of, so of the, everything. At the heart of Tree of Life. <laughs> Fungus growing. The film itself <laughs> is a beautiful film about this yeah. family in Texas. Yeah. You know, in a small town, Texas. Um, but it starts at the dawn of the universe. Okay. <laughs> so... I mean, you know, I I understand. I mean, like, there's some element. You know, this movie reminded me of his ghost story. You mean the the one with Casey Affleck in the the ghost? Except uh, we don't know that he's sheet. It's we can pretend that it's not Casey Affleck. Um. (laughs) I have never heard definitively whether so. This if you haven't a ghost story came out a few years ago, um, and uh, what's her name? Robot Audrey Hepburn is in it. Yes, Rooney Mara. So Rooney Mara loses her husband, Casey Affleck. He mm-hmm. dies. And then he haunts her. Like, he's present, still with her in the house that they live in. But they filmed the movie 
literally with the actor under a Halloween ghost sheet. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful film. It's so mesmerizing. <laughs> it's a wonderful love story. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's poetic. It's, but it has some of that, like, the time but, passing as a ghost, yeah. you know? Like, and it's this weird, like, time wraps around on itself kind of thing. Like, um, the fi- figure eight sort of there's thing. There's a wonderful thing about that movie is that he haunts that house, like, forevermore, sort of, right? Yeah, because into the fam- future. And other then, families move in and out. And, he's, and then it starts you know? over again. So it's like that infinity yeah. loop kind of thing. Where the, we need to see that again. Where the, where the time crosses itself or something. Anyway, it reminded me of that in a way. And then... This, I, I can... I'll tell you that guy, that director is definitely influenced by yeah. Malik. I know. Yeah. I think I think he for sure is. And then the other thing that I mentioned, I think right away was um, there's a film of uh, Henry James's Wings of the Dove. Is it Henry James? Is that yeah. right? Well, the yeah, the novelist. I don't yeah. remember who made the film. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't Merchant him. Ivory, was it? I don't think it was. No, I don't think it. But it looks very much like it a was, Merchant Ivory. It was when they did produce that whole slew. It's of, got Helena Bonham Carter. And I don't remember who else is in it. Helena Bonham Carter is Isn't, the... um... Oh, shoot. I lost his name. Oh, never mind. Jude Law, is he in it? No. no. It's a guy who kind of looks like Jude Law. Okay. Is he a Ray... Is I'm it Ray Fiennes? It's one of those kind of guys. It's one they of those all British in period guys. Films yeah. around that time. I don't think it's Ray Fiennes, but it... I really don't think it's, it's Ray Fiennes. It's someone who kind of looks like him, though. I don't think it's Ray Fiennes. Um, he has a skinny nose. That's fine. We can look at it. Jude up Law later. has a fat nose, you know. Okay, but it's definitely, it's not Ray Fiennes. I'm positive it's not Ray Fiennes. I know, it's just someone who looks like Ray Fiennes. Anyway, Wings of the Dove, which has a similar love triangle, which is, um, it's actually opposite. So, um, a woman is in love with a man who doesn't have very much money. And she's from a wealthy family, but she doesn't have money of her own. Yeah. So she, there's a rich American heiress, because it's a Henry James movie. Uh, <laughs> there's always a rich American heiress um, who's terminally ill. And so she encourages him to... That's sort of the Henry James special. Yeah, yeah. Because the heiress in uh, Washington Square is like also yeah. another... Right? Daisy, Daisy Miller's an heiress too, isn't she? Or something. Washington Square is another one that's literally somebody like making a play for an heiress's money. Yeah, right? essentially. Yeah. Um, oh, anyway, time. so she encourages her penniless lover to seduce this rich American heiress marry her and then inherit her money and then when she dies but you know he ends up falling in love with her and so it just doesn't work out so the the love triangle is very henry james only uh brooke adams and richard gear read uh wings of the dove they would know that it's not gonna work out yeah it's not gonna work out very well it probably came up what 30 years before that they could have picked up a copy (laughs) are there many bookstores in chicago in 1920 they didn't seem like they had all uh, that much time to hang to, around to, and read. And read, yeah. Although, one thing I wanted to point out that I thought was interesting about this movie is this... It's it's not really the gritty view of life on the plane working no, no. as a migrant worker. Because I was thinking about it. I didn't remember how much that Malik focuses on their leisure time. Yeah. So even before the entanglement with Sam Shepard, the farmer... And that whole scheme, like you have so many scenes of like after hours and the meals that the workers take together and swimming in the swimming hole and walking around through the wheat fields at dusk, you know, kind of just talking and smoking cigarettes and um, or running around playing tag. Yeah. Like you don't get that sense of like uh, depression era leisure in, in, in the life of a yeah. migrant worker very Although often. It's interesting. Cause there's a discussion at one point where Abby's talking to the, um, to Linda and she says, you know, I used to have a job where I, she did something in a factory. Oh, she and was she, making she, rolling cigars, rolling cigars. And she said she did that from sunup to sundown and she never saw the sun in the factory. Mm-hmm. And then she said it wasn't that bad. <laughs> So I don't know if she's just hot and tired from uh, harvesting weed all day. That maybe I don't know. I, there <laughs> was in, in another movie. Like I, I still I've seen this movie before, and I didn't think it was going to be the case. But I was just there was some some of the scenes where you're like right up against the threshing machine, and yeah. I was like something terrible. So gonna, yeah, somebody's somebody's going to get mangled. Or it's something. like that man in the moon movie where the guy gets killed by a tractor. <laughs> 
I remember that movie. <laughs> poor, uh, poor Reese, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon's uh, teenage heartthrob uh, boy next door what? gets mangled by the lawnmower yeah. or whatever. The lawnmower. <laughs> it's a very large lawnmower. It's a very, it's very... A, it's, a, yeah. it's a John Deere tractor. <laughs> so, no, that doesn't happen. That's... Yeah. No, no. But you can see how it would be very easy to... Well, even in the, in the, in the steel mill, it, like, it would be so easy to, like burn off a limb you know just just in what they were doing on a daily basis it's dangerous work so we have to talk about the photography and the look of this movie mm. a little bit okay um okay <laughs> i can't say his name i've never heard it pronounced i'm gonna mangle it and i apologize but he's passed away so only film people can be upset with me nestor almandros okay was the primary cinematographer and the one who worked with malik to create the look and the style of the movie he shot like, you know, months on the movie or however yeah. long, most of the production. But the thing went so over budget and over time that they lost him partway through shooting to the next film he was committed mm. to do, which was a Truffaut film. And actually, Malik had seen his work on Truffaut's The Wild Child, even though it was black and white. And he's like, I want to work with this guy. And they had a meeting at the mines. And Almondros was very much like oh my god he cares so much about the photography and the light and like i really want to you know it was a good collaboration um but they had to bring in haskell wexler another amazing famous world-renowned oscar-winning cinematographer to pick up and try and continue what nestor almondros had started what they cooked up together was this like let's shoot with just available light let's not use all the hollywood Mm. like let's go with what's available let's go with and then they made this weird eccentric amazing decision because the film is so beautiful Mm. they shot like most of this film at magic hour yeah they literally had about 25 minutes a day to shoot these exterior shots and so the magic hour is for people listening because i know you know is that time period after the sun has gone down but before it's gotten dark yeah. So the sun, so you have that kind of afterglow, that sort of, there's no direct sunlight, but the sun, ha, but it's not a complete darkness or sunset yet. Everything has that glow, that otherworldly glow. The whole movie is shot in, at Magic Hour. It's amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's so, and but it's strange too. It has yeah. an eerie kind of feel. Well, the contrast is, because the sun is so low, the contrast is different than it would be, you know, otherwise. It. And then, of course, like the yellows are much brighter, and the I don't know, it's 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 a beautiful light to shoot in, but yeah, it's it's I mean, it must be tricky to expose it just right, too, you know. Which interestingly, I was thinking now that you pointed out that um, that they used existing light and not um, studio lights, because when we were watching the Blu ray, I noticed on our TV the edges. Of the scenes at night. I think they had to push the exposure. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. They had to, so it probably blew out <clears throat> the edges of the of the frame um, in order to get enough, you know, information on the on the so the film itself. Haskell Wexler actually later. So Nestor Almendros won yeah. the Oscar for cinematography for this movie, but Haskell Wex- Wexler shot about 50% of what mm. we see on the screen. Yeah. So like they shot, I don't know, just thousands and thousands of feet of film, but of what we actually got in the finished film, Haskell West, Wexler shot about half of it, but he, he didn't get, you know, yeah. credit for, he didn't get, he didn't win the Oscar for it. It went to the primary cinematographer. Yeah. So it's a little bit, he a little bit got robbed on it, but, and it took him a number of years to kind of come to terms with that. But he ended up thinking like, you know what, this was, the style that he set in motion, this was his decision-making on the film, and what I did is I came in and I extended what he had started, and so I'm okay for that, and it's amazing work, and I'm happy to be associated with it. So he did come around to that, but um, I was going to say that he felt bad that in some of the footage he shot, he started using diffusers and kind of mm. throwing in a few things. Like, he shot the the steel mill stuff. Okay. And he's yeah. like, I just always felt, like, really bad that I used a diffuser for it. <laughs> Because what would Nestor say? Yeah. So they're two of the best um, in the business. Fascinating. You know, one other thing that I 
that struck me is the like lonely gazebo that's out in the you know and they have so many great shots of that gazebo as like sort of a meeting place where things are discovered Mm -hmm. you know all this so but there's like this element of of sort of sort of 100 years of solitude magical realism thing when the i think they're italians Oh, with the, the fly in the, on the their, biplanes that yeah, come they, in. They, they're World War One planes that they must have bought after Did the you war. Catch, they're called a flying circus, <laughs> okay. like Monty Python. Yeah. That yeah. was a flying circus. <laughs> a bunch, like a few Italians fly yeah. in on these two like World War One era planes. This does take place during World War One. Biplanes. Just after what's going on at the end with the soldiers getting on the train and stuff? They're coming back, or I don't know. I don't know. Um, Anyway. Maybe, yeah. So you, you that because is, it, it ended in nineteen. If this is set in the twenties, then so I never remember this thing with the circus coming in. Yeah, it does so feel there's like that, magical this beautiful realism. like night shots of them like hanging out in the in the gazebo with the drapey fabric and the it's backlit and so you see the silhouettes of people and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful shot there but and like, apparently the circ- they, they screened uh, some uh, the chaplain short uh, yeah yeah the one with the immigrants maybe it's called the immigrant I forget so I guess Everybody they knows. it's just such a weird concept like that these people just they fly and then they land at these great houses um, on the plains and I guess they ask for a little money and some gasoline to get them and a place to stay for a night or two yeah it's very very interesting you know and they, they entertain you they, yeah. they, they entertain you for their their lodging yeah kind of thing yeah it's beautiful so yeah that was cool <laughs> I like that <laughs> so this uh, this movie because of some of the way it was shot you know the available light and the improvisational style like it, it apparently this was it was a Paramount movie mm-hmm. Paramount like back to the movie like and it had a, like a Hollywood crew and apparently it drove them all nuts you know you had these union like lighting crews and grips yeah. and stuff standing around like with nothing to do because that's not what they wanted yeah so Nestor Almandros said literally that he was these crews would set up lighting for shots and his he would go around and like switch off all the lights and then shoot it the way he actually wanted to <laughs> and so every you know people walked off people yeah. quit People were fed up. They thought that Terrence Malick didn't know what he was doing. And he's he must be like one of those like Myers Briggs INFP like well, that's, I'm gonna, that's what they usually identify. <laughs> like the mad genius yeah. kind of uh, take all intuitive. Yeah. Like I'm just going to create and capture film and footage and like We'll fix it in post. Literally. <laughs> Yeah, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> and the the actors, apparently Richard Gere and all of those guys, just kind of, I understand, thought he was very cold, yeah. you know, and like they couldn't really connect to him. They seemed to think he was more interested in the visuals and not so much. He's, he's not a touchy-feely, yeah. work with the actors, talk to the actors kind of person. And so he ended up backing away from the actors and making it more about the atmosphere and the setting, which I think is why they ran into trouble in the editing room and had to come up with Linda Manns and the narration and all that. But, you know, however it gets to the film that we end up being Days of Heaven, it's a beautiful film. Like, it's not one that he could have sat down and scripted as it is. It is one that you had to make by shooting all of this shit of, like, you know, undulating fields and the light at dawn and, like... (laughs) I don't know. I just thought you would dig it. I did. I did. I, indeed, I did. And I'm, I, like, the th- there's always, like, things, like, I know that I would like and that are right up my alley. But for some reason, if it's, I can't, I can't. He gets the tone just right, though. You know, of course he would get the tone just right. It's not overly you know sentimental you know like if you describe it or if you hear me talk about freaking wheat like i just did you might think that it's overly sentimental but it's not um it's absolutely not a sentimental it's not 
So, but you can, that allows you to layer your own meaning on it. And I think that that is um, a talent that, um, you know, actually some, a lot of directors have, you know, I think it attracts, you know, not every director, but, but some are able to sort of provide this beautiful canvas to, you know, inspire your brain and make you think thoughts. And, and, you know, when the, when the plague of, of grasshoppers come, you know, you can simultaneously feel like it's biblical and like it was brought on by the sins while also thinking about how this is just how it was to, you know, be a farmer in ever. Well, Mm -hmm. but especially in the 1920s, it was how it was to be a farmer is that sometimes you had these, you know, windstorms or dust storms or, you know, giant plagues of grasshoppers and you had these and like they they didn't freak out about it. They had like a specific plan that they, you know, to deal with it, which is you go beat them with with cloth. There's something (laughs) just like that sequence of the the cricket. It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) That has this feel of small humans under the. I don't yeah, know, the, the weight of the under of the, the weight world, of the, yeah, of God's of world, nature. Or of na- yeah. and nature, and and you know, small humans. I'm sorry, you know the the locusts. Well, I'm going to call them locusts because it's more biblical. You feel that sort of human like drive to explain things, like the human drive to understand the world in terms of ourselves, and at the same time, the knowledge that that the world is not on our terms it's on its own terms and like we yeah. don't have any control you of can that. make your plans yeah right yeah. <laughs> you, and you can scheme to like win this guy's inheritance yeah. and do the fake marriage yeah. and all that kind of stuff but god can take all of this yeah. away or the nature can take all yeah. of this away in a yeah. flash you have the locust and then you have the fire that just like scorches yeah. out the whole yeah oh, i went off <laughs> I branched poetic about how we don't know what fire is yeah, that was like, great. Like, whatever it so, is. <laughs> it actually, it really added something to watch the film and have you talk to me about, we don't really know what fire is. We know we know how to make it. We, we know, know how to stop it, but we don't we, know what it is. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. <laughs> so I read that for um, some of those shots of, like, the billions of locusts, like, flying up into the yeah. sky, that they actually shot that in reverse. And it was a bunch of peanut shells being dropped from a oh, helicopter or something like fascinating. that. Fascinating. While they had the actors walk backwards. So then when you ran it forward, you had them slowly trudging through with all, like, the yeah. like it looked like <laughs> millions of, you know, locusts, like, yeah. flying up into the sky. It's pretty cool stuff. So, oddly, that reminded me of, of a, you know, if you want to talk about a movie from the same, like, set in the same period that was, like, too sentimental... It's oh. that um, places in the heart. No, no. Well, um, it's the one set in the grape field. Do you know? Uh, There's one who's set. In it? Um, fuck. I remember. I don't know the grape. It's field. a Keanu Reeves is in it. I think it's like it's. I now this the movie that's coming to my head is Captain Corelli's Madeline, but it's not all that the pretty one. Horses, but uh, no, no, that one's. Um, That's Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy. I don't think that would be very sentimental. No, I don't either, but I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> I can't think of anyway. There was a, you know, kind of a corny romantic film that came out in the A Walk in something? Yeah, A Walk in the Fields or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, A Walk in the Cloud. No, that's a different Maybe? Maybe. It's a walk in the clouds. Know. Anyway. That, that's, that's what I was Set going in California for. I don't know if that's in the, the 20s. But about. also like dealing with fire and, and okay. that sort of that one is really sappy. This one is not. <laughs> so possibly one of the most sentimental things in the film is the score by Ennio Morricone Mm -hmm. who did all the great spaghetti western themes has this score been used in something else I swear it's so familiar I think that they have used it in like TV ads that Mm. need that kind of nostalgia feeling and I think it's it's one of those things that they would roll out in a Oscar night when they would have like a people who died for the year oh, okay. or or else some kind of sweeping like mon you know those yeah. they used to do those those super cuts it must of be like, that it's, it's it's just so it's been it's been used in, it's a beautiful score but it's almost it was... too sentimental i mean i like yeah. it i actually like what it adds to the film but it's the most sentimental thing about the That's true. movie and it and it kind of has that glow of 
nostalgia is well, what it feels the thing. like. That's the thing. When I first heard it, it was like tingling my brain. I was like, is this like some classical piece well, that I know? Well, it almost sounded like a... And then it, I saw the Ennio Morricone flash across the screen, and I was like, well, this can't be a classical thing that I know. I, I, I <laughs> absolutely never remember that it's an Ennio Morricone score. It doesn't I really have, sound like his other stuff Because every time I see the film, I think to myself, oh, what is this piece of music? It's And I never <laughs> recognize it as being from Days of Heaven, and I never recognize it as being Ennio Morricone, but then when I realize that, then I go, okay, I can see this is Ennio Morricone. Anyway. It's great. It does, it adds... It adds some of the emotion that's not there in <laughs> yeah. the human drama, yeah. which is not a problem to no. me. That's just not what he's after. Yeah. Which was the which was the complaint of a lot of critics. Mm. So what happened is that the movie um, did really well at the Cannes Film Festival. I can't remember if it premiered there, but when it screened there, he won Best Director. And this was after like the two the two years of editing and like would they ever get a film out of it. They had to go and do reshoots with Richard Gere and Sam Shepard, which actually those are hilarious. And that's the thing that doesn't work for me at all mm. is there's a couple shots in the movie where you just have these like really low angle, like close up shots of like Sam Shepard standing there going, huh, who is she? That girl with the black hair. <laughs> and then you hear off camera, I could go find out for you. you yeah. Know? And then like they'll cut to a shot of the foreman going out to the field. So those were pickup shots that they did like a year and a half later under an overpass. They shot Sam Shepard like in L.A. under an overpass where they just like put the camera like under, you know, low angle mm-hmm. underneath them to get a shot of him saying a line or two. Because they just didn't have a lot of the connecting tissue yeah. to, to tell that story. They couldn't really connect the dots. Yeah. So, But those actually are really I noticed those. There's two or three of them. There's some, Richard Gere has some too, and they're shot in that like, like low angle, and they just deliver like a line or two, just to kind of like be connective tissue. We can make a Terrence Malick movie about our cats, pr- probably right now. They're well lit. Yes, it's magic hour. No, it's not <laughs> no. magic hour. We do have. We just have a kind of a cloudy sky. We could probably shoot a very dull Terrence Malick movie. Well. So here's the thing I worry about with Terrence Malick. Most of his films are really long, two and a half, three hours long. But this one works so well because it's got that style, but it's only 90 minutes long. Yeah. You can watch it in an afternoon or mid-afternoon. When did we watch it? Yesterday night, I guess. I don't know. Last night. We yes. watched it last night. So um, any other thoughts uh, about this movie, I, I feel like. I think I said all my thoughts. I feel like I'm just rambling, doing a Dave talkathon. <laughs> I think I, I think I said my thoughts. You said your thoughts. I think yeah. I said my thoughts. Um, so, I uh, I ordered uh, when I learned that um, Linda Manns died the other day, and then decided, oh, we should watch this for the podcast. I found a copy of one of the other major movie that she was in um, that actually my friend Don like dragged me to see at um, the draft house, Alamo mm-hmm. draft house, maybe five years ago they did a screen. It's an obscure a cult movie like directed by Dennis Hopper called mm-hmm. out of the blue where she's a few years older and she's just kind of a drifting punk teenager type, maybe a year or two, a couple of years after this. Um, but she has such an interesting presence. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to take a look at it again. And I immediately went to eBay and found a copy. It was like six bucks or something mm. like that. It's out of print. It's coming <laughs> in the mail. I'm going to take okay. a look at it later this week again because it had something. It's, you know, it's a weird movie because it's to Dennis Hopper directing. Everything he's associated with is pretty weird. But um, it's the other sort of Linda Mann's movie. I guess she was in Gummo also that... Uh, Harmony Korine films that I don't know. It's not my favorite movie. Okay. We won't watch it then. So, you are interested in maybe seeing another Terrence Malick movie. Yes. As long as it's not the Pocahontas one. Yeah, I don't think I want to see that one. You probably don't want to see one of the Ryan Gosling, Austin music scene kind of ones either. I heard those weren't great, but... That's what we didn't mention. After he made this movie... Mm Mm-hmm. 
He didn't make another film for 20 years. Oh, he's like the Daniel Day-Lewis of uh, film directors or something. He didn't become like a a tailor. <laughs> a tailor. Or, or a shoemaker. <laughs> shoemaker, cobbler for a while. <laughs> well, Daniel Day-Lewis is in one of them. He's in the New World one? No. No. That's um, one of the Collins. Okay. The Irish one. Okay. Whose name I can't remember. Okay. Firth? No. That's Mr. Darcy. Farrell. Farrell. It's yes. Colin Farrell yeah. is in the is John Smith or whatever the equivalent. She thinks it's a bug. Oh, okay. Well, cats do sometimes think screws and nails in the wall are bugs. We move to a new house and they don't know what's going on and we don't know what's going on. And this is a really weird setup we've set up for the show today at a desk. Okay, we're going to go. <laughs> it's your turn next time. It is. I haven't thought about what I'm going to pick yet, so... That's fine. I usually figure out what I'm going to pick the I night before we'll, we have we'll, to watch we'll it. review Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, we actually watched two movies for this podcast. <laughs> we did. We did. What was the other one we watched? Begin Again. That's right. That's right. One of the music films by John Carney, who, who did Once. Yes. And um, Sing That's Street, it. which I really like. Oh, yeah. Sing Street was really good. Yeah. Um, I think this is a better movie to talk about, though. I so, think so, too. Yeah. Sometimes you remember a movie fondly that meant something at a at a particular time and then it doesn't quite it doesn't hold up. Yeah. It it certainly was not as um not as good as Once or Sing Street. So Yeah, but we'd already seen those, so That's I didn't right. feel like I could pull them out for the podcast. Um so there you go. Well, that's it for this episode of Shut Up and Watch This, 57. 57. Heinz, Heinz 57. Heinz 57. It's 57 flavors? 57 seasons? No. 31 flavors. <laughs> that's ice cream. 57. <laughs> we don't have a freezer. We can't I don't have know. Ice cream. Um, all right. We'll tell your friends about the show. Drop us a line at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we'll be back with you in, I don't know, somewhere around two weeks thereabouts, although we don't seem to hit the hit We're it on the dot. We're not this time. I think we can hit it. We think we can hit it. Yep. We'll see. You. That means you have to choose a movie. Okay. Okay. I'll do it. Bye. We'll see Bye. you again soon. <laughs>